welcome, Metal Faithful, to a place where I am becoming comfortable, the host seat on the Metal Hammer of Doom. Hi, this is uh, Robert Cooper, 401 Mania writer, bearded bastard, and lover of all things heavy metal. And Mark Radledge is still on his battery recharging delay, so come back in two weeks, and uh, oh, well, by the end of the show, I'll announce our next one, and it's going to be something everybody's going to want to listen to, but... So this uh, this week, pretty much, I am in the chair. I've got some friends. It's going to be fun. We're going to be talking some prog. It's prog metal. It's going to be great. So uh, just without further ado, cutting the shit, I'm going to here, – here's my first guest. Uh, he does a few podcasts of his own as well as, a, you know, does some gaming stuff on uh, 411mania.com. Welcome, Mr. Uh, Mr. Sean Garmer. How you doing, buddy? Doing all right. Good. You, uh, Good. Enjoying the uh... – Games podcast getting moved to Saturdays. Oh God, I, I don't actually. I kind of like it on Tuesdays because on Saturdays, like sometimes I'm not home. I'm not in till midnight. So I don't know what's going to happen if a games podcast start with, starts without me. Oh yeah, yeah things will get done. Weird. Things will get done. Fantasy. <laughs> we, we won't be talking fantasy football for forty-five minutes. We'll just run out of stuff to talk about, like really quick. It'll be like an hour and a half podcast instead of three hours or something. <laughs> well, hey, I am good. I am good about filler, but you know, I, I think it's going to work pretty well. It will space out my podcast nicely instead of doing all of them in like two days. I can do them all like in separate days. It'll be nice and fun. Yeah, plan. Yeah, yeah, and. uh and in our second second co-host slot, uh, don't know how long he could be here, but uh, a bu- he's a buddy of mine who is so obsessed with Dream Theater. He has their logo tattooed on his arm. Please welcome uh, a fat hobo hippie bastard, uh, Mr. Calvin Seacrest. How you doing, buddy? Doing good, man. About yourself? Uh, I'm not wearing any pants, so it's it, it's shaping up to be a good evening. <laughs> All right. I'm excited so to talk about the Dream Theater. Oh yeah, because that, that, that's why I texted you with like barely any time spare. I'm like, hey Calvin, you want to you want to talk about Dream Theater? You're like, oh, I gotta go to work, but I'm like, but Dream Theater. Hey, that was a great so, idea, man. It was. I have them on occasion. I'm not known for many, but I have a few. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Metal Hammer Doom podcast is gonna be pretty awesome. So I guess uh, I guess we should pretty much start talking about Dream Theater now. Me personally. I am not a huge Dream Theater guy. Like oddly enough, I have two of their albums, but something about the uh, the longer nature of progressive metal tends to make it make listening in the car, which most of my metal was done in the car. It's not as much fun for me personally listening to metal in the car. Now, I will say I have a huge respect for them as musicians. Everybody in the band is like astounding. Even when they get rid of somebody, they seem to find somebody. Good, as good, if not better, depending on who you're talking to. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, now, I will say, a few months ago, I went to see Dream Dream Theaters live in Luna Park. Uh, like the first night of that being streamed at a movie theater over in Winston, and it really changed changed my outlook on Dream Theater because I was just blown away. It was it was me and about ten other people. Just all chilling and having a good time. And, you know, I didn't know a single fucking song they played. I knew like three or four Dream Theater songs by heart, and they didn't play a one of them. So I was kind of disappointed with that. But it was just such a really great and engrossing time, and it really made me excited for this album because, when I, you know, knowing this album was coming out, I was I was kind of psyched for it. I was like, okay, 
I can, uh, I'm excited, but after listening to that, I was like, fuck, I got to get into this album right now. I am like Bill Cosby and a cup of jello pudding, just, whoa, <laughs> and it turned, <laughs> and it turned out going up, and it turned out working out pretty well. So I guess uh, just starting off, oh, I guess I'll switch it up a little bit. I'll start with the uh, Dream Theater fanatic. Uh, why do you love Dream Theater so much, Calvin? Well, they were the first band that I really found that got really both me and my dad, which have been into Prague for a long time, into the genre. And uh, I don't know, these guys are just so technical, so profound. You can see like. John Young, for example, has like six other side projects, and Portnoy at the time had like five others going on. I know it's a good way to find a lot of music through just one band. Oh yeah, they, yeah, de- I mean, definitely. They're just, they're just badass. They're heavy. They're they got their sad little soft songs going on at the whole time. It's really impressive. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've come to find bands that have a. Uh, Bands that have a lot of different side projects tend to be the most fun. Like oh, through Opeth, I've gotten into so many bands like Porcupine Tree and Bloodbath and all those other uh, bands. Choices. Oh yeah, dude, great choices. Like stuff like that. Like I've come to find, especially like a band like Dream Theater, which I honestly didn't know they had so many uh, projects. I know Portnoy had fourteen thousand projects, and James Labrie has his own solo stuff. But I didn't know about the rest of it. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, hey, even even the metal master can be taught a thing or two. But uh, so what about you, Sean? Do you what do you dig you some Dream Theater? Yeah, they're one of the few progressive metal bands I actually follow and try to listen to a lot. I was excited for this album as well. I've quite enjoyed listening to it over and over in the car, ironically. <laughs> uh well, you know, when I come from from work, I have like a you know twenty minute drive, so it's you can get you know part of an album out by the time I get home, so it's a good thing. Uh, I just I love uh, Portnoy's uh, Russian influence. That's where I got it from. Just him, you know, just listening to Russian, him going, hey, you know, I, I love uh, Neil Peart. He was my my big uh, inspiration or whatever, and he and I kind of just started listening to him randomly one day. Um, and then I uh, played the Pull Me Under on uh, one of the Guitar Heroes or whatever, and I was hooked after that. So, um, and I I love that that whole uh, CD where it's like our greatest hit and like 21 other uh, songs that we have or whatever it is. I still, uh, they they uh, are able to put so much into just not technical. Like I love the fact that even their you know, ballads that you have other prog bands don't even touch. They just get all technical and screw ballads, stuff like that. They they can even make a ballad technical, beautiful, and, you know, so many things. Uh, so it's like this album and so many other albums, it's hard to find a song that you can't just go, I don't like that song, because you find something great about it, because there is that good. Yeah, I can I can agree with that. I I actually got into uh yeah it was the first time I listened to Dream Theater was a Rock Band Two Panic Attack, still one of my favorite songs to play on the Plastic Bass. <laughs> yeah, pl- plastic Bass was where it's one at. One of the like, most difficult songs too. <laughs> it was it was a bit of a finger sore, but hey, it was fun. I always enjoyed playing bass more than guitar because you know, sure there was some stuff that was really difficult, but it was really more kind of a rhythm thing rather than a watch my fingers go. Yeah, exactly. You don't you don't feel like you're breaking yourself as much playing the bass. 
Yeah, it's, it's not as much effort. <laughs> oh, no, no offense to you, bassist. One of my best friends is a bassist. So, uh, but yeah, uh, Dream Theater, man. I guess we should go ahead and get to talking about this uh, new album, a, a self-titled album, nonetheless. I was kind of surprised they went with that, because I would have honestly figured they'd have yeah. had it. Yeah, I don't know if that's ballsy as the, their way of saying this is what Dream Theater is, maybe. I think that's what it is. I think that's a little bit of a stab at Portnoy because it's like, look, this is Dream Theater from now on. Like, we don't need you. Like, I don't know. It's it's kind of lame to have a self-title 14 albums in. That happens, though. There's a lot of artists that they don't they wait to have their self-title album when they can't think of an album name or they just want to have it that name that at this time or whatever it is. <laughs> Yeah, Kill Switch Engage has two self-titled albums. That's really, really their first album and their fifth album. Yeah, they they have Lazy. six. Yeah, like their first two albums. So what do you call one of them? Uh, whatever I call Kill Switch. <laughs> I call the uh, first one self-titled one, and what's the other one? Here's self-titled two. What creative? <laughs> Does it have a color so you can like name it by the color? Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. One's blue and the other one's kind of a uh, blackish gold. I just call one Kill Switch Engage and the other one KSE because that's just how their name is abbreviated. So why not? Just cheap as it be. Uh, I, I did see probably that was a stab at Mike Portnoy. Like I like Mark Point, Mike Portnoy. The guys, uh, the guy could be a bit of an asshole, but you know what? It's it, he is who he is. He's a talented guy and yeah. he, he has. He deserves to have an ego at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean a well-deserved was... one. Yeah, Calvin's a fan. Calvin's a Portnoy fanboy, so. Yeah, man. <laughs> you know, I'm, in this newest album, I really am impressed with Mangini. Because the first album he appeared in uh, Dream Theater, it's like he was not as impressive as Portnoy had been with, like, fillers and how technical it could be. And in this new album, it's just incredible. They just, like, here... Let loose. <laughs> Here, buddy. Yeah. They just gave him all the free roam to just swing his arms around, and he makes every bit of that worthwhile. And he talks about yeah. it in a video. You know that little uh, scan thing? The uh, what thing? QR code. I haven't seen it. Yeah, there's a little QR code, like, on the inside of the CD, and uh, or, well, the inside of the CD case. You can scan that, and it'll go to a video of Mangini talking every second of the last song on the album. Hmm. That is actually really cool. Like I've heard of people using those codes as like, oh, find out the the dates and times of the this movie at this theater by scanning this on your TV. But you know, I've never heard of that. That is really neat, huh? But yeah, uh, when I saw Mangini on that uh, live at Luna Park, he had a drum solo, and I was just, there was one part, he was playing it with one hand, and I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. This guy's a damn ham. It was it was just ridiculous how fast and technical he was going. I'm like, okay, I can, because the guy beside me was actually, a Mike, was much more into Mike Mangini. He's like, yeah, poor boy, he's never in, uh, he can never keep the beat. I'm like, what? What the fuck? Oh. Uh, yeah, the uh, the the guy who was sitting beside me was like a huge Mark Mike Mangini like fanboy. Oddly enough, 
I didn't know I that mean, was well, such that's a thing. Cool yeah, like the dude's like, like yeah, he's like, yeah, Portnoy was pretty good. He had a problem with speeding up too much, but he was still pretty good. I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool. You know, whatever works. But yeah, seeing him on that live album was or that live video was amazing. I definitely, I'm sure you're gonna go pick it up sometime, Kevin. But uh, live, their live in Luna Park uh, DVD was amazing. Yeah, so, uh, I hate that I missed that. Oh, yeah, you had to work because somebody uh, couldn't figure out a schedule. Yeah, wonderful world of 7-Eleven. <laughs> Dude, I totally, <laughs> I totally was going to go visit you, but I got lost. I couldn't figure out how to get to Lexington. <laughs> you got lost? I got, well, that's well, actually, coming to Lexington. Well, yeah, well, the problem is I got lost. My GPS got me lost because I was trying to find a way to get from, like, Winston to I, – I didn't even know where the damn uh, – the I didn't even know where the damn 7-Eleven was because it wasn't in the GPS. So I just tried looking for anywhere around where it was, and I just ended up – I ended up, like, in the other direction, ended up in downtown Winston instead of Lexington, which is, like, a good 15 miles the other way. It's nah. brilliant. Like, I am awful Don't you love direction. it when the GPS doesn't do what it's supposed to? Oh, yeah. There was once in a marching band when the – one of all the – oh, was it a caravan that had, like, uh, our drum tech and the uh, fucking – oh, what were they? The flag the flag twirlers, their coach and stuff. They were all huddled in a uh, SUV, and the, <laughs> and the damn GPS got them an hour and a half behind. <laughs> Yeah, we finally got one once my mom uh, m- printed off Google uh, Google Maps and it told me to take a turn. It told me to take a turn towards West Fifth Street off the highway. I'm like, I, I don't know where that is. <laughs> so I ended up, yeah, I was in Lexington trying to find the Shriners. You know, the guys with the fezzes and the little go-karts. <laughs> they were selling chicken. Oh, man. Yeah, so uh, I guess without further ado, I guess we should go ahead and get this thing started. I don't want to hold everybody too far. So yeah, the first track off the self-titled album, here is a, a nice instrumental, False Awakening Suite. Okay, so uh, starting off with you, Sean, uh, 
how did this how did you feel this did as an intro to this new dream theater the definitive dream the, dream theater I thought it you know it does its job it's definitely something that like gets you into the album I felt like I was listening to like some kind of a not to bring it into video games later, but I felt like I was listening to something I'd hear like in an RPG or something to kind of like give me amped or whatever like some kind of battle theme music or whatever it was I just love instrument. It's uh, pretty much it's what you get from Dream Theater, like just the instrumentation, the the way that they go about it. It sounds like some kind of, you know, it's apropos that it's Halloween. It's almost like one of those, you know, not, it's not scary or anything, but it, it can get to that point. Uh, very like thematic, almost Wagner type classical prog metal stuff. It's great. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, what about you, Calvin? Hey, I, I totally agree with all of that. It's uh, it got my my blood tingling as soon as I put that in my my CD player in my car. It was uh, it did have like a thematic feel to it. It was like, oh man, something looming over the horizon, getting ready to just pound into us. It's awesome. Yeah, that's I, I definitely think that was a very good explanation of how it sounded there, Sean. That was good. I dug it. <laughs> I I did really feel like the beginning of some like almost like a Final Fantasy esque journey. I, it was different than I expected because you know as I said I don't know Dream Theater very well. I have a few albums, but I haven't really gotten too much into them to where I know everything that's coming. I was expecting almost more of like a shred fest for some reason, kind of than to start out like you know not a total shred fest, but like more of a progressive shred fest. But here. That was so symphonic. That was that just blew me away because I was like, "No way! This is this took amazing prog metal and put a symphony." And just like you said, it was very bombastic. It sounded very almost looming. It was just really good, and it impressed me and got me really excited for the rest of the album. And I must say that uh, I'll be saying this towards the end, but I feel like this is the most. I mean, out of everything I've heard of Dream Theater, this is definitely the most accessible I've heard of them. I mean, do, what do y'all think? You think you think this is ex- the most access- accessible, or do you think maybe there's a better starting point that I've missed? No. Uh, I mean. <laughs> okay. Well, no, I was just asking, like, the both of you, if either of you can. Well, it, it, it's something that, like, especially when you get to. Um, Probably my favorite song on the album, Through the Looking Glass. Mm-hmm. It's probably the most poppy kind of ish. Like you could hear this on a metal, uh, hardcore rock radio. I could hear this on, you know, just regular rock radio, and I wouldn't know it's Dream Theater because it almost doesn't sound like something they would normally do. It sounds like something that they almost made to like, let's see if we can get this on the radio, and it sounds so just like a just a really good, well-done rock song, but they it's so well done that I don't... Knowing a Dream Theater, it's just... Sorry. That's why it's so great uh, for me as my favorite song on the album, because I just sat there and listened to it, and I'm like, I get the whole point of the song. I feel there's a message. You get it. It's, it's instantly identifiable. I mean, if you're just listening to that on the radio, you go, okay, I get this. It's good. You know, you know, it doesn't have to be no complex thing that I feel like I got to sit there and listen to for a while to get. You know. 
Yeah, yeah, I totally, I totally feel you. Yeah, it's there were some some parts here that I was like, okay, this is a bit poppy, but not in like the insulting way, like, oh, the new Miley Cyrus song is on the radio. This is really poppy as in generic and just watered down and really just peddled to the masses. It was really just kind of they made it much more accessible. Like it's not like they watered down any of their ideals. They just went to another place of their style that made it to where it was more accessible to people who wouldn't necessarily be into hearing a 20 minute song at this beginning of the album. Kind of like, you know, Rush has a few hits that hit the radio and it wasn't that they betrayed their ideals to do so. It was, they just had managed to have a song, some songs that were a bit shorter and kind of had a bit of a nice hook to them and were catchy and fun yeah, and memorable. Exactly. Yeah. And that's another reason because two looking glass sounds like a uh, spirit of the radio. That it does. That it does. Anything you have to add, Calvin, before we move on to the next one? Well, I mean, it's uh, most of the stuff I've heard off of this album kind of takes it back to, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard the albums, uh, Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence and uh, Train of Thought. How I some of some of the songs on both of those kind of did the same thing, where they were trying to, like like you said, make it more accessible, like shorter songs, and at the same time, it's like heavy all the way through. They didn't do the tempo changes and make it just real complex. And that's that's great. That's a great idea for them to do that in this album. Yeah, can't argue with that. So uh, next up is the second track off the album, which I pretty sure is the lead single I, this is the, definitely the first one I heard and the one that definitely got me excited for this album this is, uh, this is The Enemy Inside
cut off on the Epic keyboard solos. I know. <laughs> I could I couldn't run that anymore. That was going almost over two minutes, and I, I can't I can't let the whole song play. Well, I mean I can, but that'd be bad podcasting, and yeah. possibly illegal. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, going to you, Calvin. What did you What did this make you feel, especially as a, a lead single for this album? What do you think of this song as a single, and what do you think? You know, how does it fit into the album? What do you think? I, I thought it was it was great. That was like just so smooth coming out of that like really epic intro into something so heavy for them. Like you can just hear it in the instrumentals. Like you can headbang to that song. Oh yeah. Dude, headbanging all day, <laughs> and that's, uh, that's that is exactly something I, what have. I was gonna say. Yeah, it's something I've noticed with Dream Theater. Maybe that's one of the reasons I haven't gotten to them as much because you know, Galvin knows me. I, I love a good headbang in public. I don't mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I like a good headbang, and and I've I've found Dream Theater to be maybe a bit softer, but that's because they're a prog rock band, and prog isn't necessarily the heaviest of genres in nature because it's more technical. And when you get heavy, sometimes you sacrifice that technicality for more beefy sound. Ooh. So, yeah, yeah. You get a little bit of both in there. Yeah. You know, right when you cut it off, you start getting into the prog with the yes keyboard solos and all that stuff. And then before then, you. This is why it's a lead single because you could play this on a you know rock station and somebody that's not a prog fan but is a this sounds more like it should be a heavier rock sound like kind of a you know something you'd hear more from what you hear today on rock stations where it's that hard with the guy ready to moan or scream or whatever you get that at the beginning but it's just so crisp so clean it's it's dream theater and then you get into prog stuff and you're like oh I didn't think that was a prog song so they get the keyboard stuff. Yeah, it, it reminded me a lot of the first song I heard off of uh, Clockwork Angels by Rush, which is their latest one. The Headlong Flight was probably one of their heaviest songs I've heard. It started it started a little differently. That song was more kind of a kind of more classic rocky, more progressive, and then it gets heavy. It just kind of reminded me of that leading leading this album in terms of a promotion with that with a single that's much heavier than what the listeners used to. I feel like that it's a good sign, especially if you're looking, especially if you're one of those guys that's been like, oh, man, you know, I've been really wanting a heavier Dream Theater album. Well, there you go. It's great advertisement, in my opinion. <laughs> but uh, the, did you have anything else to add? I'm sorry I interrupted you, Gavin. No, no, you're good. That, oh. that pretty okay, much punctuated uh, it. Ooh, yay, exclamation point. Uh, what about you, Sean? What do you think? What do you think about this song? Yeah, I mean, it, it's something that I, that beginning intro, like, you know, sometimes I'm not the biggest instrumental person. Uh, so, like, at first, like, when I figured out it was instrumental, the first time I listened to the album, I kind of skipped that first track. And then I went into this, and I was like, wow, uh Oh, thank you, Dream Theater, for switching your sound, because this is great. I mean, I felt like I got a little bit of everything in one song and that ends up finds why I love Dream Theater, because they have no problem changing it up. And even the, you know, getting the whole method of the song, the chorus, everything, it all worked. Um, just the keyboard solo still uh, gets me. Just great stuff. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, and that's one thing I know about Dream Theater. Not only do they switch it up, they can switch it up. They have the talent, they have the will, and pretty much they can do whatever the hell they want because they're just that damn good. And because I'm pretty sure isn't most of the band from Berkeley. Yeah. Aren't they, Calvin? Yeah, because I know... uh, Like three of them uh, started were. Yeah, and then uh, LaBrie's Canadian ass came in later, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah, they had a different vocalist for the first album. Also, they've had like three different um, keyboard players. Yeah. 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 In the guy guy now, they're best. Like, that's what I hear. Yeah, Jordan Rudess, he's he's a prodigy. He started out real young playing for like the Dixie Dregs. Oh, okay. I noticed he's, like, older, like, that beard. I was like, oh, maybe he died it. I'm like, he's 56. Well, fuck. Yeah, man, they call him the wizard. And, I know. Uh, well-earned title, too. Yeah, yeah I, saw, I saw him come out with a hat on that live DVD. He came out with a damn Fantasia hat. Oh, really? Like, uh, yeah, uh-huh. I was like, oh, he's a wizard, Harry. <laughs> that was, yeah, that, that keyboard solo gets to me. Because, you know, I am honestly not a keyboard guy because that is – well, it's not I'm not, not a keyboard guy. It's just I don't listen to many bands that have many keyboardists, or at least a very <laughs> prominent one. I'm more for, like, your thrashy or deathy stuff, and I don't hear many thrash metal bands with a keyboard, though if there is one, you should totally send it to me. It'll be great. <laughs> but I was, I was just blown away by how damn proficient uh, – Mr. Old Man Wizard Jordan guy. Yeah, he was he's fucking awesome. And I've noticed most of the band's a bunch of hams, too. Like, you've got Petrucci, who, uh, as uh, some people noted during the live DVD, if you notice, his, like, his mix goes up as the uh, as the DVD went on. Like, he just kept getting a little bit louder, like, after each song. It's like, well, he was producing it. But, like, he's a ham. LaBrie's the singer. <laughs> He's got to be a ham. You got the damn keyboardist is like eyes on me, and then the damn drummer's a ham. It's a good thing the bass player doesn't ever talk. It's good. <laughs> it's funny because he doesn't need to. Like, if you divert your attention from everybody else and look at him, it's like, how, how are you doing that? He's playing a six-string bass on average, right? And he'll play a 12-string bass and make it look easy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he definitely shot up my favorite bassist list because my favorite bassist is Steve DiGiorgio, who is fucking awesome because he plays a fretless bass and can do like 30-second notes in his sleep. Oh, I love Steve DiGiorgio. But yeah, Dream Theater is very just immensely talented. I'm sure anybody listening to this already knew that. Hell, anybody that knew this was prog... There are not many pro- big prog metal bands that aren't talented. This isn't like, you know, in some thrash metal bands where... So they they kind of skirt on the fact that they can play fast. No, there's prog metal. You got to have the chops, or you better leave. Exactly. Well, that's the whole point of prog is you're technical and you're all about having just very symphonic and beautiful songs. And if you can't do that, you're not really doing prog. Yeah, all, all the fretboard masturbation. Bull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, I guess uh, y'all, do you two have anything else to say before we move on to the next song? Uh, yeah, pretty much one of the heaviest songs on the album. And if you get a chance, like, really just try to pick apart Manzini's drumming on that one. It's <laughs> impressive. Okay, He's got go so much it. extra filler where he didn't used to have it. Oh, well, there you go. There's something from a drummer right there. 
So uh, with that insight, we'll go through the and look through the looking glass. <laughs> There's never a good spot to cut off these songs. <laughs> I feel like I have to do it right after the chorus, or else it's just going to go on until the next chorus, because I don't want to cut it off before the next chorus. <laughs> oh, no. So, uh, yeah, Calvin, what, what do you think of this song? Do you do you like the kind of sort of the more going from a really the heaviest track on the album to, I would say, arguably non-ballad, the lightest track on the album? It's probably not the lightest one, but it's it's definitely a good contrast because they've, that's pretty much their style. If you listen to any of their albums, they'll go from something real heavy and drop it to something real light in the next song. And oh, yeah. this one feels like the last two albums with how they've done their songwriting and, uh, Labrie singing out the way he does. I don't know. Hmm. I, I really like it. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I like it when bands kind of go from the heaviest to a, a more lighter song, kind of, uh, Shocking and blanching, as it would be called in cooking terms. Not that I know how to cook, because my mom's afraid I'll burn down the house. But yeah, using it's kind of you give them something really hot and something really cold, and it'll kind of shock everything in place and make something nice and delicious. But speaking of delicious, what, what thoughts do you have on this uh, on this song, John? <laughs> sure, Alex Lyson didn't come on and play the opening part of it <laughs> because. That just sounds like uh, Spirit of the Radio, Limelight, or something. Uh, you can tell where their influence is from. Uh, and I, I like that. That's why it's a great thing, because it shows their range. It shows their contrast. Uh, just the way that they sing the, the chorus part, where he kind of gets into the... feels like he's kind of coming part of the song, and he kind of dips low and starts... Uh, I like how they kind of change the key there, and then they kind of go ramp back up into the what you hear at the beginning when he gets back out of it. Uh, it's just, I just like the whole ebb and flow of the song. It's, it's really good. And like I said before, it's something you could hear on the radio. And even if you didn't like Dream Theater, I would, uh, of 
question you to tell me you didn't like them after hearing the song. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely heard the uh, comparison to Spirit of the Radio in this. That's why I was saying it was more kind of lighter. It felt more like a prog rock song. Because I know Dream Theater aren't totally prog metal. They they have some prog rock in them, and I'm sure they can be classified as both. But uh, like I said, I really liked the I liked the turn that it took. It didn't it didn't wow me as much as uh, the Enemy Inside. But that's probably just because my sensibilities aren't as much towards the more prog rock side. But it was definitely a, a fun song. It was a nice one to be leading on, to to be leading on from the more heavy side of their stuff. So, unless you two have anything else to say, I don't. Do you? No, nothing. No. All right. So, uh, with that question gone, let's enter the Enigma machine. That's the problem. If I keep going, I'm going to have to wait another minute or so, and then it's going to be like three or four minutes. And I know the FCC and the listeners are both going to be like, come on, hurry up already. Because <laughs> the FCC won't let me be and let me be me. So let me see. Okay, uh, with that Eminem reference in there, uh, Sean, what you what you think? What, I think I'm in this God, the... God, uh, that in, keyboard solo. <laughs> Oh, the keyboard solos. Was it? Was this the instrumental on the album? I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah. yeah? Well, this is another was, one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was. I was trying to remember because so many instrumental breakdowns. It's kind of hard to remember which one's the actual instrumental. <laughs> so as I'm assuming, so I'm assuming your uh, thoughts on this album, on this uh, song, was that damn keyboard solo. Well, just that. 
right where you uh, started, where it starts <laughs> to get like really amped up, where he goes starts going hard on the keyboard and whatever. That's where it really starts getting good after that. Uh, just fantastic. It shows you exactly how great they are from the beginning, where it's pretty much that's your dream theater. That's your prototypical like how Dream Theater kind of intros their songs and whatever. And then you just get technical a little Dream Theater the entire freaking... If you love just hearing technical stuff, so listen to this, because it's just... It'll wow you. <laughs> it will blow your pants off unless you're not wearing them, and then maybe your socks. Maybe. Oh, we'll have to see. I am wearing socks, which is weird. But I keep... <laughs> I don't, I've been, yeah. Dude, I'm always wearing socks. It's just it's it's just weird. I haven't had time to take the socks off. <sighs> so she said. So you had enough time to take the pants off and have the socks. Well, yeah, it, it takes less conscious thought to take the pants off. But anyway, speaking of less conscious thought, <laughs> what do you think of the song? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, it was. I love it. I'm a huge fan of the instrumentals they've always put out, and that's, that's really my biggest thing in the prog, mostly the instrumental aspect of it, but it's it's great. It's like the song tells a story without needing lyrics. I don't yeah, know. You kind of get like this, this like up and down with the song throughout it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's one thing, especially a good instrumental can... I don't want to say can make up for the fact there's no lyrics because that automatically assumes that it is less than a song with lyrics. It, it can definitely take you on a journey, and it can do a much more, a much better, more vivid job of doing so. And it, it gives more room for creativity as well. When you have a really good instrumental versus a really good regular song, now they're both great, but a good instrumental can really just it really just lets you go on a ride kind of like you know like classical music you listen to some classical music yeah. you can you can get some fantasia shit out of that it's like a picture imagination places that you wouldn't go just listening to lyrics and trying to make themes out of that you can make your own theme which is instrumental yeah you can make scenes from scenes from a memory ah aha reference aha Ah, yeah, it's reference. <laughs> yeah, it, it does a really good job, like I said, just like classical, and uh, especially being in a, I'm in a class that's teaching. It's about teaching uh, music to elementary school kids. Fun class, by the way. We we talk a lot about how uh, using music to really let imaginations kind of kind of flow out, as well as uh, using using music to uh, kind of reinforce things, like. Uh, you know, like, oh, we're learning this song. We're learning about this book. Oh, why don't we play a song that has to do with the book? It, it does a really good job of helping reinforce things. And a good instrumental can really stick with you. Now, sometimes an uh, instrumental is not quite as catchy as, let's say, a really good song. Because, you know, I, I find myself singing good courses all the time. Now, good instrumentals, I will be whistling it for a while, but not nearly as long. But yeah, it's it was just a really good, really good solid track, and it, like I said, it makes me want to go dig those two Dream Theater albums out from my CD stack and play them, because <laughs> I have like two like fifty CD stacks of stuff I need to listen to, and I'm never gonna get to. Oh yeah, you should put them on the top of that list, man. I probably should. Uh so I'm pretty sure we got all that done. Uh, do you do you have do you have enough time for another song, Calvin, or do you have to go go to work? Yeah, I'm actually going to bail. So I had a, a little bit of info uh, for you guys. 
right. that uh, this album was released on September 24th, right? Right. It sold 34,000 copies in the first week and landed number seven on the Billboard's Top 200 chart. Yeah, that's their that, third album to, really, to reach top ten, which is awesome for any prog band. To even make it's awesome it for any band. Yeah. Yeah, like that's that. true. Especially if you're not popular, a popular band, like a popular music band, because I remember in my column I mentioned, I'm like, wow, they got to number seven, which I remember Black Clouds and, and Silver Linings got higher, but it was still really impressive that a, a prog band could get so far, get that high in these days. Yeah, they're, they're well, I would consider Dream Theater one of the popular prog bands. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying there's some underdog, but it's still pretty impressive to see even... And even in a downturned economy with rock and metal being really given the biggest shaft out of every genre that, you know, we can still pull we, I mean, as in metal as a genre, I, I count myself because I write about it. Yeah, bitches. <laughs> like that we can, we can still manage to pull off like good feats of like three albums in the top ten of Billboard. That's really unheard of for most metal bands. Yeah, especially now. Like, yeah, you've got your Metallicas, and Megadeth has done it with their past three. Yeah, with their past three, and I think maybe not even Slayer's done that. So, yeah, it's a very small list, especially when you take it. You're funny. Anybody listening to this, if you haven't listened to that podcast, go go listen to that because it's me and Mark just ripping that album a new asshole. But when we get shitty music, it's fun. So that's going to be uh, be great. But uh, I don't, I don't want to hold you anymore, Calvin. So uh, thanks, man, for being on here. Thanks for laying your dream theater knowledge upon us. Hey, appreciate you having me. Yeah, not a problem. Uh, shit, if I can if I can think of anything else you'll enjoy next, because next year we're not going to have any new podcasts really that aren't scheduled. Till next year, because we got a special, and then we got our end special. So yeah, 2014, I'll find you some prog. I'll bring you on. All righty, cool deal, man. All right, buddy, have right. fun. Uh, have fun with the slurpees. Peace. Oh, yeah. Peace. <laughs> so, yeah, that was... I hate, I hate to let him, get, let him go, but... Gotta let him go. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, Peace, but I... Thanks. Like, like I told him, 2014, because we got, we got mine and Mark's special, and then we got our year end before Mark takes December off. Uh, another oh. month without us. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, are you going to try to take it over for December again? or No, no, uh, no. him and Sean are doing, uh, Sean Comer, they're doing a Long Road to Ruin every Tuesday. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah they're doing, they got to wrap up the year, right? Pretty much, and then we're going to be doing stuff until March, which I'll let Mark tell you why he's going to be gone from March until about June. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, no, trust me, it's for a good reason. I, I know why. I'm just not going to let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. so from March until June, pretty much, I'm going to be running this. I'm going to be running this as long, if uh, him and Robert Winfrey allow me, which I don't see why. I do okay work. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that at the end of the podcast. So, uh, for now, let's just look at the uh, the the next song of the album, the bigger picture.
This was a much easier cutoff time because this was kind of it's kind of a ballad, but you know ballads aren't exact. It, it was kind of a ballad, yeah, it was a ballad. But Dream Theater's ballads, uh, you know, I'm not hugely familiar with the band, but just judging by what I saw, by what I've heard, as well as what I uh, saw in that live DVD, their ballads are definitely a lot different than, let's say, a Poison ballad. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah I mean. I mean, the two are really, they you can't compare them because you have a pop metal band versus a prog metal band. But really, just showing the approach between the two is how, why I think this band is far more superior. I mean, what what do you think? I do you, do you think this is pretty much the best way a ballad should be done? Yeah, it's orchestral. It's beautiful. It's not like trying to, as you would say with Poison, where you're just really trying to, pull at the heartstrings of the ladies. This is just like trying to pull at heartstrings of everyone and trying to, you know, just kind of get a message out there and a theme. And But it's still just dream theater. It's still got the technical stuff. It's still got, you know, pretty piano. And, you know, he takes it from the keyboard to the piano, and it's still great. And you still feel like you're listening to a song as opposed to something that's just kind of like, Oh, I want to screw you all into this. Like that's that's not what you're getting here. You know, it's just a pretty piece of music that kind of puts a slower tone on the album. That at that point, I think it kind of needs it. Yeah, it, w- it was a very nice. Uh, it was a very nice breather in comparison to like a lot of the stuff where you had like a really bombastic and epic intro and then a heavier song. And then we get kind of a more a more rock or more rock oriented before moving to an instrumental. This is like a nice breather. This is pretty much the this is the halfway point of the album, and it's a nice way of kind of just resetting everything, hitting the hitting the reset button, and going, okay, guys, uh, we're gonna kind of ease you back in. It's, it's like when you uh, so it's like elementary school, like you know when you went to lunch, and then the teacher brings you in, and you like read a book to kind of 
kind of wind everything down, but then start winding everything back up by kind of uh, engaging you, but not overwhelming you as to get get you too excited and overwhelmed. It's kind of it's a nice palate cleanser. Yeah. Exactly. Good analogy. <laughs> yeah, I love how I went back to elementary school for that one. Man. I'm Good just old trying days. to think of like elementary, and I'm like, you know, I do think about that. You know, they they sit there and read you a book, and then they start asking questions about the book, and then they start, you know, depending on what grade you were in, they would kind of send you back to the whole, okay, start doing class stuff again, you know. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, this is this is nice. Like I remember in third grade, the teacher knew she wasn't going to be in class. So she sent me with one of the other teachers instead of letting me have the let me be with the substitute. It was great. Why? Well, because you get to make the substitute's life hell or something. Yes, that is the exact reason why. I have a bad habit of doing that. Uh, All right. Oh well. I think it's third grade. Dude, since like I was born, who are you kidding? <laughs> I mean it. I mean, if the hell I give uh, Randall was any uh, indication, <laughs> like, and I usually just I just do it with him because it's just fun, because he's a good sport. Even though I yeah. haven't mentioned the, I haven't mentioned like the Virtual Boy or Doctor Who or I don't know maybe that temporary scoring system really did train me well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait till the you know we get to watch the the. Uh, 50th anniversary special, then we'll all be talking about Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. Especially if we get Jeremy on weekly. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully he can come on now that we're having him. Oh, but I think his day off is on Saturdays, so maybe he won't. Shit. We'll we'll, we'll see. uh, Maybe maybe I'll bug him once this is done. But, yeah, uh, with that tangent, trust me, this isn't the worst tangent. Like, once me and Mark got on a 15-minute tangent, like, half the time when we get to the end of an album... It's tangents, and then we listen to the music. <laughs> so, uh, all right, I'm pretty sure we've summed up everything we have to say on this. So now let's take a peer behind the veil.
keep cutting off at the keyboards. <laughs> <laughs> that was almost three minutes. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty I haven't sure. gotten to the chorus yet. No, and I, I think that might be the problem with doing prog. Is those really long intros. Like this intro here was fucking awesome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I felt like I was like, okay, we're we going to like Lord of the Rings territory at the beginning, and like this, you know, little saw. <laughs> Almost like the intro to a movie, and then you know, da na 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 na. Oh, great! Just, and then they just keep building and building and building it. Yeah, you know, the you know best part. <laughs> well, I mean, hey, if you know what, if I'm playing the best parts, do the listeners really have any incentive to go out and buy this album? Nah, I guess you're go right. <laughs> but then I they, mean, they, they, you should want to hear it like for yourself. I mean, you can listen to it on Spotify and stuff. But, yeah. you know, if anything, if you do, the only good thing about playing the best part is you go, oh, man, I want to listen to that in my car. I want to listen to that in yeah. my headphones or whatever, you know. So I mean, we, we still, we've still played some awesome stuff. Like, hell, all that stuff from the enemy inside was just great. Like, yeah. it, it wasn't too bad. It's just with a lot of this prog metal, like almost every one of these songs is six plus plus minutes. I can only cover so much. Yeah. Except for like the one right before the speed at the end. That was like less than five minutes, barely. But that's yeah. probably because they knew they were going to play a 22 minute song at the end. <laughs> yeah. I think really this, uh, this kind of proves our, our theory of at the midway point, really calming everything down because this song kind of went with that theme at the beginning. I think it was a nice hangover from the last song to, you know, it was like, okay, now we're going kind of quiet. And then it's like, now we're back in, now we're back in class. You know, it was something like that. It, it, it shot the system. Too, when it gets to the course. So it's not like fully there, but you get a little bit of up and down again. Yeah. It's probably one of the, it's one, another one of those songs I really enjoy on the album. Yeah, it was one that I uh, trying to think. Was it in my uh, pit, top picks on Spotify? I can't quite. No, it wasn't. But it was still a really good song. It was one. No, wait. Yes, it was. Sorry. Just I was trying. To, I'm going off of memory because if I open up Spotify, I don't want this computer to explode. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this song was a really nice mixture of both soft and loud. Like 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 was stated earlier. Really, uh, Dream Theater is very good at that, and you know, I can, I can really, I can just dig more of that. It makes me want to go dig up. Uh, I'm trying to remember the two I have. Uh, Con- I think uh, Constant Motion, the one that has Constant Motion. I have that album, and then I have Awake, because I got Awake at a pawn shop for a dollar. And you don't, uh, you don't pass up, you don't pass up metal for a dollar at a pawn shop. No. No. I mean, that was, that was one of my legendary halls. Five CDs, Iron Maiden, Megadeth, Queensryche, Tio. Oh, so good. That's so why I used to live about Hastings and where I used to live in Texas, man. You can go in there and get, I think I could get like six or seven CDs or less than 50 bucks, you know. And people would sell stuff that just came out like couple of weeks before then they'd come and like I guess trade it in or whatever and they'd be selling it for ten bucks or not ten bucks but like seven or six or seven bucks I'm like Oh hey, yeah. There's a used, uh, okay. There's a used bookstore called Edward McKay around here. They are you can get some amazing stuff. Like I'm gonna try to go back there tomorrow because they have this Lord Gore album. 
which is really rare for a dollar because they don't know that. It's really rare. And hopefully nobody picked it up. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I love cheap places. Like I go, I know almost every pawn shop in like 15 miles, 15, 20 miles. <laughs> all the pawn shops, the Goodwills, all that stuff. But I must say, if you want really cheap, go on eBay. eBay, uh, e- eBay is very dangerous. That's how I ended up with two stacks of 50 CDs. <laughs> got some Christmas money. I'm like, I got a hundred bucks. There we go. <laughs> but yeah, enough of my uh, bragging about my cheap, cheap assness. Nobody wants to hear that. What people really want to hear is, uh, how did, I know that's how it shows like, uh, uh, was it American Pickers? Yeah, that's how shows like that run. And yeah. that one, and the Antique Road Show. Okay, well that's really the opposite. That's how Pawn Stars run yeah. because they, because people want to see uh, how much their bullshit's worth. Yeah. And that's how we end up with people trying to sell NES cartridges for fifty dollars. Dumbasses. But enough about that. Uh, I think maybe we should have a nice time of surrendering to reason. Yeah, so here's track number seven, Surrender to Reason. Oh, I don't want to 
<laughs> well, this time it was guitars. Yeah. <laughs> so I decided to give the shaft to somebody else. Oh, well. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure once we get to illumination uh, uh, theory. Yeah, you're, you're going to have to cut that, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to. Rem- Hell, I hope we get minute- some music before three minutes in because if we don't get three minutes, I'm like, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Surrender to Reason was another was another track, kind of like the last one that mixed. Uh, that I, I think really this is like the Dream Theater sound now that I know, kind of, you know, knowing what I know about the band, which is very little, I admit it compared to like, you know. They did better than the last song where he kind of, they go real quiet. But it's him singing, and then they ramp it up, and then it kind of gets into this almost like a rock song kind of thing with the chorus. And just great, just pretty. It's it's dream theater, but they just that whole tempo changing thing they do it just so well here, and it doesn't even sound like the song really deviates. It's just you almost if you're not really looking for it, you almost don't even notice the change that much. It's just that good. Oh yeah, I, I know. Uh, listening to this is, you know, trying to keep track of everything. I kind of got lost in it. I'm like, oh, oh shit! I need to be paying attention to this. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> that's right. That's that's where everybody's coming here for professionalism, because we got it in spades, yeah. aces, hearts, and that other suit. Clovers. I forgot about clovers. Oops. Oh well. Oh, well, this is this is why this isn't a poker podcast. <laughs> well, then no, that's the video game podcast because every time we mention Red Dead Redemption, I have to mention my three-hour marathons of uh, Texas Hold'em. <laughs> that, is, that is the only thing that Red Dead Redemption is to me is poker and shooting people. <laughs> At least that made sense. Not like they added DLC to Final Fantasy Thirteen Two. And have you have the guy play uh, blackjack and poker just so you can see a secret ending or whatever? That's dumb. Why didn't they bring back that game for Final Fantasy VIII? I don't know. I know some people love that damn game. I forget the yeah, name. Yeah, I love of it too. But you know, Square hates reusing things. But that'd be a beautiful callback. Like, oh, what do you know? They play it in this universe too. Cool. Oh, well, Square hates their fans. Yeah. That's why they wouldn't allow uh, that Chrono... That's why they didn't want that Chrono Trigger remake... Or uh, sequel. That Randall's no, because they don't want somebody to throw it in their face that they can show them how to make a sequel. But Square's just too lazy. Too lazy and too busy uh, calling everything disappointing. They're never going they're never going to live that down. But yeah, that was a good song, even though we did kind of tangent. Like like I said, when me and Mark, by the time even, I think our worst podcast was that Children of Bodom podcast, where he was trying to find a comic book the whole time, and my cat was going to die, so I was depressed. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh that, was, that one was bad, because like most of the songs, like, you know, for the first three or four songs, we're like, yeah, this is really good. And by like the last, like, six, seven songs, we're like, yeah, yeah it was a song. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I really like this album. Yeah, it's a song. <laughs> but yeah, I guess I guess moving on to uh, the penultimate track, the calm before the storm, if you will. I guess we're uh, for the song. We're just gonna be along for the ride. 
It's a beautiful song. James Labrie sounds amazing, considering how damn long he's been in music. Yeah, that, that just sounds that's that so good. I, you know, for like it, it's it's a ballad, but they just happen to add some kind of chug to it, and it has weight to it. It's not just like uh, the other song that's way more ballady than this, but it has a place where you can just kind of sway and. Just listen to it, and it's something, it's four, it's less than five minutes long, but it's something I felt like was needed for the album, because it's, like you said, calm for the storm of this huge sweep that's coming, but you don't know that yet. No, if they're listening to this, the fact that this is a Dream Theater album and they haven't heard a 20-minute song is probably distressing some people. Yeah, <laughs> especially if they hear this and they're going... What is this? Is this Dream Theater? It sounds like another kind of rock band or something. Oh, I think they'll recognize it. I'm I'm pretty sure they have like a lot of ballads. Like I've just they had they played like two of them alone on that one concert, and I was like, all right. I mean, it's like I said, it's beautiful, and it was just it was just well done. And honestly, I if it would have went on another two minutes, I'd be I'd be along for the ride. I'd be cool. Yeah, that's the thing. You feel. What they're singing about in the song, that's what you feel while you're listening to it. It is yeah. a fantastic job of matching that. You feel like you are along for the ride while you listen to it. Yeah. It just reaches your heart, and then you got to make bad puns. Yeah. Well, hey, I'm all about bad puns. They, uh, they make my soul feel good. Mm. Okay, so... With all everything we've said about this album leads up to this point, the Illumination Theory, the 22-minute juggernaut of nut-smashing justice. 
Mm-hmm. So here it is. Let's hope we get vocals or instrumental sometime in the next three minutes. keyboard solo in and we got some guitar work (laughs) woo keyboards (laughs) Uh, this is a massive track like it really is yeah it just has everything yes it it is the submarine sandwich of progressive goodness strings and choir and ugh so I must say, like, a slight complaint for me is that the that middle section with the choir and the strings, while I loved it, because I am a sucker for string instruments, yeah. I felt like it could have been cut down a minute or two. Oh, but, that's what Project Seth always is. 
I was about to say, well, I mean, this is coming from a non-profit. Like, I'm pretty sure if Calvin were still here, he'd be like, oh, man, I wanted it to go 10 minutes longer. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. That's how I felt. Like, oh, can we just have this part so I time on Yeah, but, you know, honestly, all in all, even that section, even though, yeah, it was a bit long in my, in my eyes and ears, it was still astounding it was a very nice section i i thought it was even though this was 22 minutes this is far and away not the uh this is far from the longest song dream theater has ever done i know that for a fact (laughs) they have a 42 minute song yeah 42 though it's still not the longest some damn band had a six hour long song but i think they were just trying to be cute so yeah, uh, what, what do you think about the illumination theory? Anything, any huge? Just awesome prog goodness. <laughs> if, if you want to see and hear, or basically, if you want to hear everything Dream Theater can do, and you have 22 minutes to just sit around and listen to some awesome music, listen to this. <laughs> you if you are taking a power dump and you need one song to get you through it. Yeah, exactly. The entire time that you're going to be on the pod. Yes, if you are it's going to be, if you have either food poisoning or a Taco Bell dinner. <laughs> I mean, I always make jokes about Taco Bell, but I love Taco Bell. It's good. I would say it's good shit, but it's actually really bad for you. <laughs> I know, coming from the man. About. That was terrible. <laughs> C- coming from the man whose uh, bloodstream is three quarters Mountain Dew. <laughs> but yeah, this is I a massive. Much Mountain Dew as uh, Jeremy Thomas or Tony God, I remember there was one time I. Uh... Oh, it was the one about AJ Lee dating CM Punk. And I'm like, and somewhere in the world, Tony Acero read this news and a tear fell into his mountain too. It's so true, though. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy's, Jeremy's picture of uh, amazing cans cans and cans worth of Mountain Dew is impressive. But the backseat of my car is actually much more impressive because, like, when I finish a can, I'll just toss it behind the behind the driver's seat. Why not? Because I end up collecting them at the end. I end up collecting everything at the end of the week and smashing it, and then I take it to a metal recycling place, make money. It's pretty great. Uh-huh. Though I haven't been in six months, and I have four like four giant bags, which is like five dollars each. So, like twenty dollars worth of aluminum can in my in the back of my backyard. It's bagged. It's it's black bag. So don't worry. I don't live in the redneck trash heap, even though I might sound like yeah, I, I live in the red. Do so you just have like the cans? No, right no. Here? Like you want people to see the cans? <laughs> it's it's my stamp of glory, damn it. <laughs> no, I I, I uh, my mom once told me she's like, we need to get a can crusher. I'm like, woman, I got a size 13 feet for a reason. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's how, yeah, I just smash the stuff on the front porch, toss them in a black bag. There we go. Got four big ass black bags full. Of Camps. See, there we go. So, yeah, that is, uh, I guess that's a good way to sum up Illumination Theory, four big-ass black bags of prog metal. <laughs> Might sell up more than four bags. Yeah, it's more than four bags, but it's still worth 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I guess maybe the fact this is just such a large track, it's really hard to pinpoint 
what you loved about it. Especially if you only listen like me. I've only listened to something twice. And it's lucky it's gotten that because I have almost 70 albums to listen to before the end of, before the middle of December. Yeah. I'm not going to finish it. Wow. Yeah. Well, last year I, last year I had 600 songs to get through and I only made it through like 350 in two months. Oh, we'll see. We'll just see how this goes. I get off in the beginning of December this year, so that's all right. Got a whole month off to listen to metal and sleep okay. till noon. Nice. Lots of sleep. Yes, I know the life. <laughs> so uh, that is, I think that's really uh, sums up this album: sleeping till noon and lots of metal. <laughs> now, I I know I personally enjoy this album quite a bit. It's not in my top ten. It probably is in my top twenty, but. It's really, it is a really good album. It's got, it's got some really good points. There's some really great heavy songs. There's nice ballads. There's great middle sections. There's a nice prog ballad. There's a good instrumental. There's a great intro. This is really, like I said, this is a very good stepping on point for anybody really wanting, wanting the Dream Theater, uh, an accessible Dream Theater experience. Because I know some of their stuff, like what turned me off, like 42 minute songs. I'm not listening to that, but. This, you know, a six-minute song that's nice and heavy about, you know, the enemy inside, that's great. I feel like it was it's just really well-structured as well. I think sometimes song structure is everything. Like, uh, that's something me and Mark have been through. Like, you know, they put all the good songs in the beginning, and then you're, we're just shitting on the middle because it's just not that great. And then by the end of the album, we end up going from I like this album to it was okay. It does. Yeah. It does a much better job of pacing the pacing the band and pacing themselves and everything. But uh, enough of my rambling. What do you think? What What are your final words on this album, Mister Garmer? I think if you know you're looking for something just where it's balls to the wall dream theater without you know the stuff in the middle that we got on this album, you may not enjoy this as much. But if you, you know what, I think this is a, if you've never listened to Dream Theater before and you want to get everything that is Dream Theater in one album, this is the album. Uh, yeah. You get a little bit of everything. Uh, you get a bit of what they can do when they're at their technical best in Elimination Theory. You get, when they want to be heavy, they can be heavy. You can get their ballads. You can get their mid-tempo stuff. It just has everything included. So if you're a big Dream Theater fan and maybe this is not like you don't feel like you need this kind of thing because you know this is what Dream Theater does, I feel like they might just be hitting the reset button and saying, okay, now that they're going in a different direction, but saying, here, people that don't know us, here's something that anybody could listen to and enjoy Dream Theater. Yeah, I'd I'd say that is definitely a great way to put it. Like, maybe this might not please some of their hardcore fans. Maybe they wanted more 40-minute songs. I don't know. But in terms of meeting both the expectations of the hardcore fans as well as people who have no clue about the band and casuals. Like, I'm a casual dream theater. They're like... You know, there are some bands you are a hardcore fan of. Like, I'm a hardcore Megadeth fan. Super Collider with Standing. I am hardcore into them. But like Dream Theater, I'm like, oh yeah, I know these songs. Yeah, I listened to that album. It was pretty good. But I'm not like, oh yeah, I can't wait to hear the solo on Metropolis Part One. I'm like, no, nah. I'm just like, eh. 
It's good stuff. Which you know, it is kind of it is kind of funny being a casual fan of a genre that is so vast and technical, and really the fans are so hardcore. Like I, in my column uh, last week, I talked about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and uh, how Yes got a nomination after campaigning from like a head campaign guy from uh, from let's see what was it John Kerry and Al Gore. Like that, the head campaign manager of that of uh, those part of those uh, shit. Yeah, it's basically like a big Democratic uh, campaign manager, a big Republican campaign manager, like the former head of something in the White House, and then the former president of NBC got like all together and got yes a nomination. I mean, it was just awesome, and that that really is like the prog music fans, in my opinion. Those are they are like almost as hardcore as the damn Kiss Army. <laughs> they are insane bastards. Oh, I'm so happy that Yes finally got a nomination because they deserved it for a long time. So yeah, I'm one of those did. Yes big time supporters. So yeah, I don't care if it took a congressman or whatever the heck it is. The fact that they got nominated finally and should, if anybody has any care for what real rock is, they should uh, get in. Of course, there's plenty of bands that should have been in a long time ago that, I mean, we could name off. Yeah, Iron Maiden. If we're calling this a rock and roll. Yeah, Iron Maiden. Judas uh, Priest. Uh, Judas Priest, Deep Purple. Motorhead. The fact that Deep Purple and Motorhead are not in is just a travesty. The fact that Deep Purple didn't get in last year was a travesty. They even yeah, had the sympathy vote going. Because John Lord died. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm glad Rush finally got in. Oh yeah, well they I think they got in through the fan voting cuz uh I remember yeah, I think they were fan voting. Now Hart got in, that was cool. But like yeah. just yeah, I I say the way we fix the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is call it the Music Hall of Fame and stop bullshitting everybody. Yeah, because, I mean and there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, you know, it's like the WWE Hall of Fame. There's not just WWE guys in it. But I mean, yeah, you got uh Antonio Inoki. <laughs> Yeah, he held the WWF title once, but nobody fucking remembers that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, but it's not just that. It's that, you know, they try to appeal to a mass audience and, and whatever because you can't just have rock and roll people. And at the end of the day, I guess almost anything can branch into rock and roll depending on how you want to phrase it. But it's still, like, if you're going to talk about rock and roll acts that made genres of rock and even music to that extent. You've got to include some of these guys and it's just amazing that it takes years and years of campaign. It's just so stupid the way they do that. So stupid the way they do the rock and roll. Yeah, it's it's messy. Like I NWA, like NWA I have a huge respect for them and LL Cool J he seems like a nice guy. <laughs> they have no no business being near here. Hell, neither do Madonna. <clears throat> I don't like Madonna very much, which Mark gives me hell for. But I'm like, I, nah. Yeah, I mean, Sorry. I'm not a big Madonna fan, but you have to give her her props, you know. Yeah, uh, I, give, I give her respect, but I'm just like, I don't, she doesn't deserve you know to me, be near. I but LL Cool J has done rock stuff. Well, so has Ice-T. Yeah, I mean, but Ice-T deserves... More rock on it than LL Cool J. Yeah, where, where's the induction of body count? 
<laughs> exactly. Mark uh, Mark loves to pride himself on being the only white boy on his block that knew who body count were. <laughs> but yeah, uh, okay. I think we should go ahead and start wrapping this up because I know we're 30 minutes in the over the overrun already. So we don't want to overdo it. So plug time. Uh, what do you have, Mr. Garmer? What's what, what's happening in the uh, in the Sean Garmer world of podcasting and writing? Well, uh, the game's top five this week. I, I don't know if you've looked at. The, I just made it pretty much almost like right before we came on to do this. It's a it's all about launch stuff this month since you know the PS4 and Xbox One are launching. Uh, so I asked you guys to come up with a top five successful system launches, and you can go read in there. There's a bunch of different ways you can think of what you think of as successful. So if you want to go in there and try to see if you can come up with a list, go ahead. Um, and then uh, I think I'm, I'm this is another week where I'm not doing anything on full one one. So it's just I got the Rusted to the Max podcast. On, uh, I, I post it inside the game's top five every Friday. It's also on DirtShoes.com, and you can find it on Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Zoom, all the other places. Uh, and we reviewed Hell in a Cell and talked about TNA being up for sale. And I'll buy it. And all that stuff. <laughs> You'll buy it, right. That's right. I'll, uh, I'll wager my three thousand dollars in student loan debt. I think that'll pay for it. <laughs> it's and, uh, on my on my football to football podcast, we did a 2013-14 NBA season preview. Spoiler: LeBron flops. The entirety of the show. What? Oh, LeBron flops. <laughs> yeah. Not not, not as well, in his team loses. It's just he's going to flop a lot. <laughs> yeah. I think there needs to be a new Olympic sport where uh, you have best flopper, like put him and Dwight Howard, like yeah, have a like brisk. The soccer players and the basketball <laughs> players and the football players that fake injuries, put them all together. That's and, still one uh, of my favorites. The ones of uh, the Giants last year where the guy's walking and he's like, and then the D, the coordinator's like, fall down. He's like, oh, and just falls down clutching his knee. <laughs> Oh, it's so bad. Uh, but, hey, at least your team's in the division with the Giants, you lucky bastard. Yeah, man, we should have beat the Lions, but, you know. Uh, hey, I was cheer- I was cheering for you. I had uh, Joseph Randall on my team. Uh, I lost. Lost to Lealos by 20 points when I had Josh Gordon on my bench, who scored I 23. I was hoping you'd win. We need somebody at the top there to lose. Oh, somebody at the top to lose? Uh, Lambert will lose eventually, I'm sure. Especially, That's like, come week seven. That's not true. Well, Especially this week, co- uh, Peyton Manning's off, so maybe he will. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and I hold, like, the number like the number two passer in Phillip Rivers, who's going to be my starter now, because Matt Ryan had nine points. He's fucking through four interceptions. I also lose Calvin Johnson, so my team's probably going to take a hit. He got, like, 40 points just Yes, but yeah, yeah, that's uh, that, that there, there's a preview of the cooperative multiplayer podcast right there. We talk video games and fantasy football. <laughs> yeah, Randall's I, also in our league, so oh, actually we're all in the league. 
uh, everybody but Jeremy. About it. God, if we get Jeremy back, like we should be like, okay, Jeremy, go take a nap. Come back in thirty. <laughs> like, yeah, we'll we'll let him. Uh, we'll let Randall talk Dota, and then me and you can talk Pokemon, and then we'll talk fantasy football, so we can leave everybody out of something. I still want to get a 2DS just so I can buy Pokemon. I do too. But oh well. Uh, so is that everything for your plugs? You good? Yeah. Awesome. All right. So uh, I do other podcasts. Who'd have thought? Uh, most of them are on the Radlich and Broadcasting Network now. Thank you, Mr. Mark Radlich. You are a scholar and a gentleman. Awesome. 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 So uh, the first one, which is one I'm editing together right now to set to uh, post tomorrow, the Sentai Rider podcast, where we talk Common Rider, Super Sentai, Power Rangers, Ultraman, uh we might hit Godzilla eventually, you know, stuff like that. The Tokusatsu genre. Uh, episode three, we talked Kamen Rider Wizard, the finale, and how even though the show had some really good points, it was mostly a planned series. Don't you just hate that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I hate it when that happens. 53 episodes, and they still managed not to get the main character having much character development. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Wow. Yeah. Two seasons worth of nothing. Yeah, well, it wasn't nothing. There's there were some bright points. It's just a lot of filler. Boy. Yeah. Filler. Yeah. I mean, filler can be good. I've had that conversation before. Just exactly but exactly what you want when you're investing 53 episodes into something. Oh yeah. Well, hey, the current series right now is four episodes in, and I'm just I'm loving it. So here's to hoping. It's it's the Warring States era mixes with breakdancing and fruit. Ah. Can't, can't ask for any better than that, because, uh, yeah, this week we're recording the episode, uh, the first four episodes of Common Rider Guy. It's great. So uh, tune in for that for next week, uh, the Three Beards podcast. Last week we did Kevin's birthday episode where he managed to eat 22 Rice Krispie treats in three hours. That was great. Wow. And we get the Oh, yeah, it was, it was hilarious. They were on sale, apparently. But, uh, yeah, we go from talking about random bullshit and a man marrying his dead girlfriend to politics. We get stuck on Obamacare, and I pretty much go silent for 30 minutes. <laughs> but it's not that I don't have an opinion. It's just, like, in that podcast, the problem is, like, I'm not very loud on here. So I end up just kind of being, well, that, I can't get my, uh, I can't get my uh, headphone mic to work anymore, but I'm not very loud. So really I'm just interrupting on the podcast and not really entering the conversation. So it's just better not to interrupt. But yeah, uh, don't get me started on Obamacare. I just, I got lucky and apparently I didn't even know that my wife had applied for Medicaid and we apparently got it because I was freaking out like crap, something else to pay for. I don't know how the hell I'm going to pay for medical insurance all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. Nice. But yeah, we, we went into that because of Kevin's like a huge libertarian, like hardcore Ron Paul, Ron Paul guy, and our guest Alexander's kind of like the more liberal sort. So we had that, and I'm was just on the outside making a joke about how the Republican Party's like Metallica against Napster. Yeah, I was like, I haven't seen a, uh, I haven't seen a large uh, group of people lose so many fans since Metallica went up against Napster. <laughs> Hi, doggy. So yeah, that's uh, that's that podcast. The cooperative multiplayer podcast has now switched from Tuesday nights at midnight, which will mean Tuesday going to Wednesday, to Saturday nights at midnight, which is going to be Saturday going into Sunday. But it's still a great podcast. You should listen to it on Stephen Randall Spreaker as well as listen to his TWNE After Dark 
podcast that comes on tomorrow night. Tomorrow, which is Wednesday night at about 11 p.m. Eastern Time. And it's usually that every week. Uh, my column, the uh, Hammer of Doom News Report, which Mark still hasn't gotten the name right, but uh, it's, uh, it is now moved as well. It went from being a Sunday, early Monday to now being a uh, Monday, early Tuesday because it's much easier for me to get writing done on Sunday, get some done on Sunday and all the rest of it on Monday than try to cram everything on Sunday because I'm a bad procrastinator. So that's there. This week was pretty pretty solid. I talked about the uh, some fans getting their throats slashed at a, at a deicide concert. Pretty grisly, but, you know, it's 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 a thing. And besides that, next, uh, next time, two weeks, me and Mark Radlich are doing a podcast that everybody needs to both listen to and try to be on. You want to guess what we're reviewing, Sean? What? Sane Anger. Oh. I need to be on that. Oh, it is going to be glorious. Like, because we were, I was like, hey, Mark, it's going to be our one-year anniversary of doing this podcast. Do you want to do a top five albums all time? He's like, yeah, I don't really have a top five, but we could do it. And then after listening to uh, Sean Comer and Robert Winfrey do theirs, because uh, Sean Comer's talking about, oh, this whole year we've been doing this podcast, I've always wanted to do Hellraiser. I was like, what have we always wanted to do on the Metal Hammer of Doom? We've always wanted to do St. Anger. So, you know, sh- shitty albums make for great podcasts. So in two weeks, you need to jump in and listen to that because it is going to be anger and shit slinging to the nth degree and it is going to be amazing so after that and then two weeks after that we're going to do our wrap-up special our top five albums of the year kind of early but it's it's kind of necessary when you consider they're him and sean comer are doing a longer doing every week so with all that said uh i'm going yeah. to shut my monkey face and I'm going to play metal. So for Sean Garmer, uh, my buddy Calvin Seacrest, who had to go work at 7-Eleven, I am uh, Mr. Robert Cooper, Mr. Funtime himself. Just come back in two weeks, or actually come back here next week for to, uh, Sean Comer and Mark Radlich doing Toy Story in the Long Road Ruin. But in two weeks, come back here for St. Anger. So until then, I'm going to steal, partially steal my co-host's catchphrase, be well, be safe, behave. But just to remember, keep the metal faith alive.